Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Church of God in Christ International Sunday School Department, and this is our State of North Carolina call. And I welcome everyone, welcome all the jurisdictions that are here, Greater North Carolina, jurisdiction of the Church of God in Christ, and we've got some other districts that are on the line as well, and I thank God for that. Greater North Carolina, just a shout-out to you. Uh, we are in our 94th Holy Convocation this week, and we want to have an awesome good time, and we commend all of you that are trying to make your way out and those that that are making your way out, and we just give God the glory that he will move in a mighty way on everyone's behalf, and we pray for Bishop Willard and that the Lord just grants him his heart's desire, amen, and that we continue in God's speed. Now, again, this is Dr. Danette Bershay with the Church of God in Christ International Sunday School Department. Our president is Bishop Alton Gatlin, and our field representative is Mother Cleolia Penix. And our and Superintendent Brown, he is our international superintendent. I thank God for him. And Waynell Henson, I couldn't do this without you being by my side. And we call her that Sunday school girl. And you can find her in so many different areas of Sunday school, YouTube, and things of that nature. I give a shout-out to Superintendent Michael Payton of Illinois' First Jurisdiction for being awesome in his due diligence to continue to convey the Word of God on Saturday night as a Bible study review. Again, this, this Sunday School Bible study, it is a combination in order to meet the obligations of your weekly services at your prospective churches and or for you individually, but corporately as a body, we are all on the same page and we are all in the same lesson, and that being number nine in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 15 through 21, and our topic, our topic is Our Redeemer Comes. And so just want to make sure that this is a non-traditional setting, but it will meet, it meets the criterion for anything that is taking place, whether Bible school or Sunday school. So if you have to report that you have attended especially those that are ministers in training, and you have to attend Bible study or Sunday school. This will meet that criteria. Amen. So you can give this call as one of the classes that you have been with, and this is also for instructors that need a little bit more light shed on the topic and or where we are in this region, especially dealing with uh, path in the minor prophets. Now we move into a major prophet, and it's a whole other ball game. So we want to make sure that the Spirit of God clearly moves in our lessons. And instructors, you take nuggets away for whatever it is you need and apply it to your lessons on Sunday. And also, we do the same on Saturday night with Illinois First. If there's some nuggets, grab those nuggets, and I mean, go for it. Amen, somebody. So in, in that, you will be able to see how other people teach and apply, it, apply those lessons to what God has given you. Let's, in, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you. Lord, I give you glory and honor on this evening. But, Father, I thank you that there is many on this line tonight that are going to hear a message from you. 
because you are truly our Redeemer. And, Lord, we know that you're coming. But, Lord, give us divine understanding. Lord, pray for everyone as they're listening. If they're driving, Lord, let them not have their phone in their hands, but turn it on speaker or use their Bluetooth. But, Father God, for those at home, we reach them right where they are right now as well. But, Father, give us divine understanding. Allow me to decrease and allow the spirit of the living God to increase in this place. But, Father, if it be necessary, we want the whole region, we want all the churches of God in Christ in this region, in North Carolina, to be impacted by Sunday school and by the word of God, which is our foundation of where we are. But, Lord, I thank you that anyone can be on this line, that we welcome all, because the word of God is for all and it crosses all denominal uh, denominational lines. But, Father, bid us your grace and mercy on tonight to cover this lesson and to bring all things into fruition. But, Lord, again, as I decrease and allow the spirit of the living God to increase in this place. In Jesus' name, I pray. Well, on tonight, everyone, our topic is we're at lesson number nine, and it is Our Redeemer Comes. And our Bible basis is Isaiah 59 15b through 21, our Bible truth is Isaiah and the, and the psalmist promise a time when God will come as a redeemer with a foundation of righteousness and justice and will place God's spirit on those who repent of their sins. Our memory verse is, and the redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that return from transgression in Jacob saith the Lord, Isaiah 59 and 20. Now understand that the aim of this lesson is for us to have the knowledge, and that is in exploring how God promises a renewed covenant relationship. It is in the attitude of reveal, revealing the feelings about the cruelty and violence of society, and then the action of what we really must do is is now moving in and express gratitude and joy for God's salvation from worldly dangers and work toward a renewed community. And in our scripture, Isaiah 15, Isaiah 59, 15, states that the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercession, therefore his arms brought salvation, his arms brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness is sustained. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. And so so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the, from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, 
saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord, from hence and forever. May the Lord have a blessing and a reading to our holy word. Now, men and women of God, we know that now that we have moved into the major prophets, um, I want to just give you an overview in in what this is as a Bible study lesson in a Sunday school. But for you to understand the prophet Isaiah, we've just come out of Micah. So understand that Isaiah, that it had already appeared that the prophet Isaiah was important to his country and that he had, he had, he had remonstrated with Ahaz over his alliance within, with Assyria. And he had advised and comforted Hezekiah that it's likely that we have to understand that these episodes only represent many more of, the, of, the, of that similar nature. For instance, Isaiah uh, must have had contact with the pious Jotham earlier and have had much to do with the God-pleasing reforms that were affected by Hezekiah. And so even with Ahaz, who had outwardly scorned him, Isaiah's influence could not have gone unnoticed. Now, Isaiah, now probably the the prophet Isaiah had much to do with the establishment of Hezekiah's coronacy with Ahaz. And when Hezekiah was only only about 12, so when Hezekiah had ruled alone, Isaiah, he was heard to speak strongly against the alliance uh, with Egypt in Isaiah 31 through 7, and then 31, 1 through 3. So this is what certainly had influenced Hezekiah's, Hezekiah's refusal to join that pact, and this was in about 711 B.C. Uh, uh, let's see, about, yeah, about 711 B.C., and then in this, Isaiah was opposed by false prophets in Isaiah 38 through 11, and their influence in turn may have had, may have, may have had a part in Hezekiah's change of mind toward the coalition that was of 701 B.C. So when Hezekiah, however, had turned again to Isaiah for help in the trouble that resulted, that the prophet did not react against him, but he cooperated freely, and then he understood the king's difficult position and saw genuine sincerity, which was enough that was able to prompt his support. And so in our lesson, as we begin to read, it is real strong because here, this is where we understand that in our life need, that sometimes everything around us seems violent and cruel and immoral, and that in this, the people of God have to learn, have to, learn to praise God and know that the Lord, Lord will not be angry with the chosen people forever. And so in our application, we see that the people of faith understand that disobedience causes God pain. And in our responses, we'll understand God's mercy upon us. So the light on our word allows us to understand that in the islands, um, it was not just simply dry lands, but it was in the middle of the sea. And so in this, the term was used to denote the, Medi- the Mediterranean coastlands 
or the maritime region. So for the Israelites, these coastlands such as Greece and Italy, they had represented the far ends of the earth and the Gentiles that inhabited that inhabited these lands, so they were also known as Isles of Gentiles in Genesis 10 and 5. If you have your Bibles, we can turn to Genesis 10 and 5 so you have a better view of what it is. Uh, it just gives you a bigger picture of what it is is being conveyed in our lesson. And, and Genesis 10 and 5 says, By these were the Isles of the Gentiles, divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, and in their nation. Here is where we're dealing with the descendants and descendants from the three sons of Noah. This gives us the understanding where the sons of Japheth and what the lineage is of the descendants of the sons of Noah. And so in the Old Testament, we understand that the word redeemer have only have one of three meanings, and the first meaning refers to a person who recovers ownership by purchasing something that has been sold, and usually property or a family member who has fallen into slavery. And then secondly, the meaning is the avenger of blood who takes revenge for the murder of a deceased relative. This is something that we've got going on now. We've got a lot of retaliation taking place. And then the third use applies solely to God acting in relation with his people and reestablishing relationships after acts of rebellion, disobedience, or transgression. And so here's where uh, I, I, a lot of people were asking questions of what, what, what does he mean in the relational, in, in the covenant? Um, what is it that God is trying to convey a, about this? And so understand, people, that in your testimony, that when we begin to deliver our testimony, we have to understand that in the recovery mechanism of our testimony, it is what have, what is it that you have been through? What is your testimony of what, how God is our, he's the Redeemer comes, and the Redeemer comes at any given time in our life for restoration? He comes at any time in our life because our testimony is a portion of recovery, and it is a reestablishment of our relationship with God if you're a Christian. Uh, somebody can raise their hand or you can say amen. So if you are a Christian, we are talking about the Redeemer comes. We're understanding that the incidents and things that had that have visions and the, vision, the God-given vision God had for Isaiah and the events that begin to transpire that were around him, that gave him the prophecies during a crucial time in, uh, of the history of Judah. I know that there are some people where God has come, and in a crucial time of need, that he's come to you with a vision. He's come to you with a prophecy, you in a dream, to help you with the way out. Somebody's got to identify with that, and it's okay. It's okay to say amen. 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 So that's what I needed to hear. Give me a corner, somebody. So Isaiah became king of Judah, and for 40 years into his reign, so he was stricken with leprosy, so his son Jotham became the, re, the, the co-regent helping him to rule. When someone is sick, you've got the next in line that sets up to help. 
but sometimes in this we understand that their understanding may not be the same understanding as the leader is. But because the leader is unable to really convey the message, you've got the co-regent help that comes in and helps out. So you're still dealing with ideologies, but if you've been raised good by the leader, you will follow what it is the leader wants done for his Amen? Amen. So Assyria, it was a dominant and opposing empire that had begun to shift their focus in an attempt to conquer the Mediterranean Sea, and that included Judah and, and many other nations. So in the year that King Uzziah died, Jotham began to rule alone, and Isaiah had one of his greatest visions. Now, we know that in intercession and in intercessory prayer, we see that we have prophets that that are writing prophets, and we've got we've got prophets that are poetical prophets. We've got prophets that that wrote historical books in the Bible, and so when we when we look upon how how the writer begins to disclose that there was a paradigm shift in the land. This is where the writing poets that out of the prophets God chose certain men to inspire writers of scripture as we see in 2 Peter 1 and 20 and 21. And those prophets were, wrote scripture in different styles. So those are the categories. They are historical, they are historical and prophetical, and they are poetical. And so in the writing of this particular passage, we see that it's a prophet who wrote a prophetical book, and, and in many prophets were inspired to record their visions and prophecies, such as Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah. They were especially prophets of vision. They, were, they, they used them as, and received and recorded under inspiration as infallible prophecy, foretelling the future and destiny of the nations. And so the prophetical book of the Old Testament has been referred to as the major and the minor prophets. And so the distinction refers only to the volume of their content. And so the major prophets, as we know, are Isaiah and Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the minor prophets, understand, are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, uh, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zach. Uh, Zechariah and Malachi, and all of those books include both foretelling and forthtelling through greater emphasis in in and on this particular ladder of, pro, of prophetical writing. And so, understand that the classification in written prophecy it is where the prophets that the in these three classifications of the prophetic revelation. Now, this is one of the greatest visions that Isaiah would ever have, and this is a prophetical, this is what happens in written prophecy of local prophecy and national and, and, and uh, national destiny and prophecy and messianic prophecy, understanding to tell us in the messianic prophecy to give us an understanding of the first coming of Christ, the church and the second coming of Christ, and then to give us the 
the understanding of what it is that's being conveyed that Isaiah had the greatest prophecy that he would ever have that caused a paradigm shift because his report reveals that the people abandoned the truth and embraced wickedness because of harsh retaliation. It was the consequence for siding with righteousness. So you mean to tell me that if you sided with righteousness, you got rejected, you got exiled. Mm, mm, mm. That sounds like my life. So his historical truth is that the people were physically persecuted and even killed for following the Lord. This is, this is what's happening in the Mediterranean now. This is what's taking place. This is what ISIS is doing because people are standing up and proclaiming the name of Jesus. They are professing their faith, and they're being slayed for that. That this is, but however, this is not. It's not a foreign or an antiquated premise because even today, these things are happening, and this, is, and especially in China, China has a large region, a large depth, a large, large arena of Christians that are underground. I have many friends that are that are in China that are Christians and are operating and functioning churches. And, and the churches are flourishing. People are, are being saved. Mm-hmm. My God. So now we see in the abandonment of, of truth in verses 15 and 16, this is where they portray the social degradation of the people. We see the consequences that happen. And here we see the commandments in, and, and the path of righteousness. We see that, that truth faileth. And here is where we see that this was the first, that truth faileth. And in the second, whoever turns away from sin is considered out of sorts or insane. And this is something that, you know, unfortunately, this is, it's not the case on the contrary, but a person who takes this step will make himself a prey. That's P-R-E-Y. We know that the enemy begins to prey on us. Right, somebody? Has the enemy ever preyed on you? P-R-E-Y. Mm-hmm. And so we know that the enemy comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And so here we see that in society that it's increasingly, it is morally bankrupt, and it is turning aside from evil that could easily make one seem the most apparent loser. So here that in third, the injustice, that no social justice, that no sense of the right manifestingly ruling in the common relationship of life to tell me that my profession, that everything that I've set for, it it still makes me bankrupt? So are you saying it makes me spiritually bankrupt because of all the injustices that are going on? That in the press, I still keep, it's one of those things, you know, if I do it, I lose, and if I don't do it, I lose. So what shall I do but still maintain right? So God sees the helplessness of his people and understand that in the intercession that he cares, that in the, in the intercession, knowing that, it, it, that we are connected to the vine, that we are connected to that branch, we are connected to that body, that God has to intervene on the behalf of his people. He intervenes on the behalf of his people. God looked down and saw the degenerate and hopelessness condition of his people. God looks down and sees the hopelessness of the dope scene. 
God looks down and sees the hopelessness of the alcoholic. God looks down and sees the hopelessness of the homeless. God looks down and sees the hopelessness of the poor. God looks down and sees the hopelessness of the widows, of the orphans. He looks down on the hopelessness of those that are struggling with mental illness and depression. And the injustices that are being done to those that are in ministry that have been hurt in the church. I'm not going to get no amens on that because we understand that there's corruption everywhere. Yes. And because we want to serve or because we want to be a part of a body of Christ that is healthy and we know that there is corruption This is where we are helpless because we don't know what to do. Because if we say something, we're going to get ostracized. We might get excommunicated. I had a dream last night of a check. And being, being a prophetess and then having dreams, this is what God revealed to me. And there were, and this is leading up to this, this lesson, so I know it, this was for this specific time. And so in this dream, there was a check. On the check had a company name that it was from, was IBM, and another company that said it was an LLC. And I know he'll bring that back to memory. And, but the person that was handing this leader the check said that if you continue to keep preaching that same, that same message, that I'm going to stop giving you checks. Hmm. So that meant whomever this leader is, is receiving payments of a lot, a big allotted sum of money from this company. And from this company, this person is being told that if you keep preaching this particular message, that we're going to stop giving you checks. Now, that can be anyone in the world, and God will reveal that. But I'm just saying this is what's happening in the corruptness of our society and that People are being bought off, and then the members are being left helpless. The society is being left helpless. But we have, a, we have a God that comes in and that intercedes. We have a God that comes in, and he begins to intervene on our behalf. That in this, that God, God wondered, does, does it not su- suggest a surprise or ignorance of the situation, but rather astonishment? So understand that any, in, that any situation that God could come in and intervene at any time. Mm-hmm. So it's, don't act surprised that God won't step in. Right. Because in this, at times, nobody who was human of us as intercessors, as, as we can't find them when this type of mayhem is going on. They won't intercede and pray against that type of behavior. So here that God himself has to bring the salvation. Man can't offer the, the, the altar call. Okay. <laughs> Amen. There is nobody standing at the altar to sing calm or, or welcome into this place okay. or, or come to Christ. You know how we say, oh, come, come on to Christ. How we begin to sing, people come. There was nobody to do this. But understand that he was patient and waited for a disobedient Israel to turn to him. He waited and longed for man to lead 
to, he waited for, for a man to lead them back to him, but none defended his cause or proclaimed his truth. So the Lord did it himself. That if an intercessor had stepped forth, it would have saved Israel a lot of trouble. But the lack of an intercessor did not derail God's plan. The lack of a body being there to pray didn't stop God. Mm-hmm. But his work would, but, but now understand that his work would still go forth if nobody came. Oh, and Esther that nobody nobody came, so it had to be done. Somebody was chosen. So here he put on his armor and went forth to destroy his enemies and protect his people and glorify his name. So when God intervenes according to Isaiah, God would survey the situation and then realize that human intervention was not possible because the people lacked the strength and tenacity to oppose injustice. How many times has this taken place where you know you could have moved forward, where you could have intervened and you could have interceded, but you didn't? You saw the injustice but did nothing. There was no action. So because there was no action, it takes us back to the, the, the knowledge. It takes us back to the knowledge in, for us to understand that in the exploration of God promising a renewal covenant relationship. And it, it goes back to our attitude of, of what are our feelings that are being revealed about a cruel and a violent society. And then what is our action what is our action? So here, this brings us back into all, all of the diplomatic diplomacy, that God will not be diplomatic, that Judah's adversaries will know God's wrath and fury. And this is where we get the first glimpse of the armor of God. This is where Paul tells his readers that they should guard themselves. My God, somebody. Mm. That they, that they, they, they should guard themselves. So now if we take a look at Ephesians, at Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 6, 10 through 18, here's where we have the whole armor of God. This is where Paul, Paul says, Follow my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the wicked, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword, the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You mean to tell me that here in verse 10, he says, finally, finally, from now on, that the spiritual battle that Christians are engaged in, that it, that it, it will exist from now on until the Lord's return. That there's no quarter or measurement of time that is given. There is no ceasefire. There is no temporary truce. There is no cessation of, of uh, hostility. That from now on to the end, there is all-out war. And that the remainder that we see that yet yourselves constantly be strengthened by the Lord, this is precisely because it is in his power. It is in his might and in his power. He tells us to put on. He says that now we see that it is a sense of urgency, that it is demanding that immediate action take place, men and women of God. He tells us to stand as a military that is an overtone to give us the understanding that it needs to resist the enemy and hold a critical position in battle. He said the wiles of the devil. He said the devil's strategy. He says that Satan carefully begins to devise schemes and tactics against his believers, not man's believers, but his believers. He tells us to wrestle. He said hand-to-hand combat. Mm. It emphasizes that personal and individual nature of spiritual warfare that's raged against the local church and Christian. He said flesh and blood. That means the, the humanity. That means that not the church's, the church's adversary. It, 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 instead, it opposes the principalities. That means the rulers. That means, and we see the powers. We see the powers, the authority, the rulers, the world rulers, the, the spiritual wickedness, the wicked spiritual beings, and that's the, the fallen angels, the demons, and Lucifer himself. Mm-hmm. Come on, somebody. This is what's in our lesson. The Ephesians mm-hmm. 6 and 8, 6, 10 through 18 is in our word. Turn to it. tells us in verse 13 that wherefore it means because of this. Because we face such formidable foes and that we must avail ourselves of God's provision, lest any enemy destroy our Christian witness and ministry. Don't you let the devil steal what God gave you. That in the evil day, ah, that, that the periodic times when, when there's demonic on, onslaughts on you and satanic assault. He says that having done all, that includes both dressing yourself in God's armor and resisting Satan. He said that having, having done all these, he said be ready for the devil will attack again and again. This is in your word, men and women of God. 
And now he tells us that the whole armor of God, it consists of six pieces. He said it's the truth. And it, it, it's the knowledge of the truth of God's word. He says the ancient soldiers' loins, it was their waist that was girt about with a leather belt which held most of the other pieces of his armor in place. So now it's similar to the other pieces of a Christian's armor that we depend on. And they're held in place by, his, by our spiritual belt of our, of our knowledge of truth of the scripture. The breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate, which is the righteousness. It represents that holy character and that moral conduct, the obedience to the truth, and that, that is known that begins to produce a godly life, a godly life, righteousness, preparation of what? Preparation of the gospel of peace. That means the eagerness that comes from the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers wore these, there were special shoes that were called calais uh, and on their feet, and it enabled them to advance against its enemy. So as Christians, our feet, we have to have on our feet, we have to possess a sense of eagerness and willingness to have and advance in our spirit of the gospel of peace. Mm. The gospel gives peace to the believer, and it begins to free us from anxiety through the, the advances against powerful opponents. Isn't that something that we get all of this out of this lesson? To understand who we are as men and women of God. The metaphor is given to us for us to understand and for us to study. So and we see this, that trust will protect one from doubts from doubts induced by Satan, that the helmet of salvation, that here as Christians, we're urged here not to, we're urged here they're not, not to be saved, that in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8 it describes the helmet as the hope of salvation. That is the assurance of salvation. Protect your high place. The sword of the Spirit, which is, the, the word of God, that it is the word, is understanding, it's referring to the whole word of God, but rhema, referring to the portions of selected scripture. We are praying that in here we stand, that without prayer, God's armor is hey, adequate. I'm listening, I'm listening to... Uh... For us to achieve any victory, that prayer is indispensable, and it always means on every occasion, that is when Satan attacks, that in the spirit it signifies that with the spirit it helps us through prayer for a divine aid to be made. Amen? Amen. So here in this word, it matters because now in the intervention of what God has done, and it intensifies with which God will admonish the enemy. That it's no surprise that Isaiah uses warrior metaphors. This is what we need. He uses the Roman soldiers and their attire likened unto our spiritual armor. I'm giving you that over that overview. So in that metaphorical language that we need to understand and that we see, that Isaiah continues showing us how the Lord will help his people. He appears, God appears as a man of war and puts on 
put on his arms righteousness as a breastplate, helmet, and garment of salvation, and a zeal as a cloak. So now in this, in our verses of Ephesians six thirteen through 17, this is where we get the heart. This is where we get the meat. This is where Paul is still exhorting his hearers and preparing us for the spiritual battle. So the, ab- the absence of, offense, of offensive weapons as bowls or spears is striking, but because God needs to execute vengeance on his, en- on his enemies in his mighty arm, and he will proceed in righting the wrongs and avenging the injuries of his people, the injustices that have been generated by man that God comes in and intervenes on our behalf and says, okay, since my people are too broken to speak up, let me step in. Since nobody's attending the altar for altar call. Nobody's attending the altar for healing and deliverance or repentance. Mm-hmm. That both saving them and destroying their enemies, that he will secure the honor of the faithfulness and justice, and by preserving his people, he maintains the honor and glory of his own name. That can't nobody step out in his name and defame it, because that's blasphemy. That's a sin that cannot be forgiven. Mm. He said to step out in his name and do what? Pardon me? Oh, I'm sorry. What what I'm saying is, is that God will avenge his people. And so he's he's avenging, he's avenging, he is stepping forward to execute vengeance on his enemies in his mighty arm and in his own name. There is no man that can step forward because out of lack, they can't. They're helpless. So there is nobody that can step forward in his name and say, in Jesus' name, <laughs> understand? And then yes, not, uh, the enemy can't come and be blasphemous, but a, a, a saint cannot come and be blasphemous in their sin and blaspheme God's name because that's a sin. Yes. And mm-hmm. blasphemy of God's name is considered the, the sin that will not be forgiven. So here, since the heart and the inward parts are protected by the breastplate, he calls righteousness his his breastplate. And then to show the justness of his cause and his faithfulness in making good on his promises. I don't know, has God made good on anybody's promises? Has he made made it good on your behalf because he promised you? Has he made good on any promise that he promised you? Yes. I know he has me. Let me, amen, somebody. I've been through recovery. Let me tell you, I'm a three-time cancer survivor, and each time the enemy tried to rise up in my flesh, he said, don't worry about it. I'll handle that. Amen. And because I had faith, but I didn't lack, even in my hour of weakness, I still was still able to shoot up a, at least a look, a glance up. <laughs> the enemy didn't get to take my mind. He didn't get to step into my my helmet of salvation. Amen, somebody? Amen. You didn't get an opportunity to do that. And I caution you, don't let anything or anybody get to your high place. 
So now here he's putting on the garments of vengeance. And see the story that now he is determined to punish to punish his and his people's enemies. He's intent, he's got your back back. Yep. He, not just not just his enemies, but his people's enemies. For generations to come. He'll punish them. So now in his coming to the defense of the people. So now we see where the screen flashes to verse 18. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. That now the Lord is dealing with the enemies of his people according to the laws of retribution and retaliation. That in his judging, he will repay the foes and that he will execute and that sends havoc on his creation, now will be richly repaid. So now nothing will be left. Nothing will be left. So now he says that, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. That negative picture begins to give way to the positive results. So here, any negative, listen to me, men and women of God, any negative situation or anything that looks like it's negative, know that when God comes to your aid, that that negative turns into a positive. Because he steps in on our behalf. And in this lesson, he steps in and he intervenes. And so it's, it's in that, in the reference here that, Fear is understood as godly with the little g and reverent and childlike fear from the acknowledgement of his name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is who? Lord. That he's who? I don't hear nobody. Lord. He is, he's Lord, God, because that's all I need to say because you're not helpless, so we don't get no crickets up in here. Amen? <laughs> he is Lord. No crickets up in here. So this is where we don't want no rocks to cry out for us. Amen. So Amen. So here, here is where God is stepping forward with his credentials in the Holy Ghost. Mm. That whenever the enemy comes to attack God's people, the Lord himself raises a standard and showing that he is in control of the situation that no enemy can conquer God's people because he is an ever-present to both demonstrate his care for his people and show his sovereignty. He's showing his sovereignty and his supernatural ability to stand and be there even when we don't ask for it and when we ask for it. So here, when the, when people begin, begin to fear, they begin to fear the name of the the Lord around the world, that God's name is his reputation and his character. And to fear his name is to fear him as he has revealed himself and his acts on earth. If you have your Bibles with me, turn to Psalm 86 and 11. As if you have, if you have your Bible. And Psalm, 80, Psalm 86 and 11 gives give God, that we need, that 86 and 11, that teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. 
understanding that in Psalm 86, this is that, uh, that prayer of David, and it's one of five psalms that's called the prayers. And so here it's a spontaneous nature that does not lend itself to a logical structure. And here that the psalm actually begins to constitute a mosaic arrangement of quotations and allusions to, to the other psalms. And so here we see there's no specific historical uh, situation that is suggested, but we know that as a prayer that, that the psalm the, the psalms are cakes of all the elements that are normally associated with prayer. He's saying that the petition that is the petition is backed up with uh, the motivations that encourages God to intervene, and it comes from the it comes from His innocence that God begins that God begins to show up in with his gracious attributes on our behalf. So he says he says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. So here we see that the scripture is letting us know the negative and a positive connotation. So those who oppose the power and holiness of God have every reason to be afraid because he will judge them and it will they will be consumed by him. They will revere him. They, they will. And those who know him and revere him, they'll understand a personal relationship. They will understand a covenantal relationship. And so... In, in, in that, as we as we're moving forward, it is to see that in the protections that are provided, that the Lord begins to deal with the enemy. The Lord be, be, begins to deal in the understanding. But for those that don't know what a covenant is, in the covenant, that the Bible reveals that God is a covenant making. He's covenant making. He's covenant keeping, and he's covenant re- covenant revealing God, and that the Bible itself is a covenantal book that is being divided into sections for us, the Old and the New Testament covenants, and it contains a progressive revelation of nine major covenants, and these covenants comprise of the purpose of God in both creation and redemption, and involve time and eternity. Okay, and these are one of the primary keys to the interpretation of Scripture is covenantal principles of hermeneutics, which is which is how to understand your Bible and how to understand how to understand and how to study your Bible. So, in this, in the hermeneutics, you get an understanding of the Bible and you learn how to study the Bible. And in the covenant that God is keeping with His people and with us. In our modern-day society uh, of the word covenant, it, it has lost some of the fullness and the richness that it had in the biblical dime. Mm-hmm. It, it, we, we've got to rediscover the meaning of covenant and, and under, rediscover the covenant is rediscovering our relationship with God mm-hmm. and our personal relationship, understanding what the holiness and righteousness is, Understanding the repentance, understanding that that God will come in our time of need. He, this lesson gives us an overview of how He will deal with His own people and the generations that follow. 
that he's acting as the redeemer, that he shall come to Zion, but only to those who turn and repent from their sins. So turning from sin, that is the entry point into covenant of God's judgment of his people. That was a foreshadow of that final day of the Lord when all the nations will be judged. So when, when it's ended, this is where we see that the Redeemer shall come to Zion and that glorious kingdom will be established. So the covenant. So we see the Old Testament in the Hebrew. It gives us, it gives us uh, the, the word berith, and it, it's compact. It's because, it, it's because, and it's made by passing between pieces of flesh. And it implies the thought of cutting a covenant. That's in Genesis 15 and 17 and Jeremiah 34 and 18. And, so, and in this, Gesenius, uh, uh, it defines the word as covenant. It's a pact or compact. And this is when he then expands it by giving us a number. He gives us a category. So the covenant between man, that is treaties, that's alliances in, the, in leagues, the, the constitution and ordinance between monarchs and subjects, agreement and pledges and alliances and friendship and alliance of marriage. Now, a covenant between God and man is an alliance of friendship in Psalm 25 and 14, that a covenant as a divine constitution or ordinance with signs or pledges in Genesis 9, 9 through 17, and Exodus 2 and 24, Okay. So this is how this is how we begin to gauge what God what God is trying to speak to us and trying to speak to the people because he is covenant making and he is covenant keeping. It is we that don't keep the covenant. But in the New Testament the diatheke and that's a disposition and arrangement and a testament or a will. That's what it means in the Greek in the New Testament, a last will and testament. And so we, we've got to understand that in the concept of things, that covenant, New Testament, Matthew 26 and 28, we, we see that to put together or place together to make arrangements. Okay? So now in the foreshadowing, of the final day of the Lord. Again, this is when the nations will be judged. Now we see the glory. Now we see the kingdom being established. And here, as the major prophet is writing in this prophetical book, we see that God's dealings are based on covenant, which embodies the mercies that he has repeatedly promised to them, the covenants. The covenants were they origin when they originated they were being an interpersonal relationship uh, arrangement and a covenant it has to be made by one person or with another the covenant between god and man had to originate with god for for with god for he alone has the mind and the authority and ability to make them effective so it was always his heart and and his nature that motivated him to initiate the covenant with man. And understand, people, that of the covenant 
covenants of God are they're the greatest manifestations of God's love and of his grace and of his mercy, of the promises to his people. The substance of the covenant is encapsulated in two words, spirit and words. The words here, they may be in the Torah, Israel will become a people that truly meditate on the Torah day and night. Both the words and the spirit belong together and constitute testimony that characterizes God's people not only in its momentary fulfillment, but from henceforth and forevermore. This is in your lesson. This is if you go to verse 20 and you will read this in your lesson. So now in the covenants, we know that God is covenant-making because he establishes. We know that he's covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God because he reveals his faithfulness. And we know, we know that he's a covenant-revealing God because in order for man to be in covenant relationship with God, he must reveal the covenant to man openly and declaring the promises and terms. And apart from God taking the initiative and, re- and revealing his covenant to man, man would be ignorant of the availability of a covenantal relationship with him. In Psalm 25 and 14 and Deuteronomy 4 and 13, and then God is a, he's a covenant-enabling God. And the same God who makes, keeps, and reveals his covenants to man also enables man to fulfill his part of the covenant. And that apart from enabling, from the enabling grace of God, man has proven his inability to keep the terms of any covenant. So this was, this is what was illustrated in the in the Mosaic covenant in Ephesians two, four through thirteen. Okay, and covenant and why did God make these covenants? It's because they provided a binding sense of commitment to the interpersonal relationship. It was a binding force of human covenants. We saw this in Joshua's covenant with the uh, the, the uh, Gibeonites and and Zedekiah's covenant with Nebuchadnezzar and Jeremiah and those who entered into covenant and obligate themselves at that relationship and provide it with a strong sense of security. And divine covenants, these are the vehicles of expressions of God's will and purpose for me. And this is what God was doing here, that God's people not only in its momentary fulfillment, but forevermore, forever and ever in continuance that the people of God have to continue to embrace the word by constantly hearing it and saying it and learning. And we have to be responsible to teach the word to our seeds and their seed seed. So you're teaching it, it was taught to you, so you need to teach it to your kids, and they will teach it to their kids, their children and grandchildren, as we saw in Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1 and 5. So understand that God's justice, God's justice will always prevail, that God's justice will always be on time, that morals and social economic perspectives, those are two primary contributors of ideas of justice for us. And apart from the individual premises of justice and nations have prevailing interpretations of justice that shape policies and, and, and governing um, ordinances for us in our in our culture. 
So understand that justice doesn't, doesn't just address the law. It addresses moral questions. It, will, it addresses moral ethics of right and wrong, accountability, equity, access, representation, and opportunity. Those are key in the analyzing of social injustices and those that are non-legal injustices. So as we understand understand that we will praise and that understand for God's mercy and then for his forgiveness, we understand that Isaiah had predicted a time when God would send the Redeemer to save his people and punish the world, that those who believe in him will be saved while those who don't will experience justice and punishment for their unbelief, that in today's world that so much injustice and cruelty goes unpunished, that it can, be mm-hmm. it can be discouraging. And then it doesn't help that the media sensationalizes it and glorifies the violence to those who are obedient to God. Amen, somebody? Amen. He provides, Amen. He provides salvation and a better place beyond this fallen world. Amen? Amen. So, so sometimes you have to take a break from, from the media. Uh, in our our junior high lesson, it it calls it media mayhem. (laughs) And that Mm -hmm. media mayhem is, that media mayhem is real. We've got to disconnect from from fake book, crack book, anything that would have you drawn because we see so much. Mm -hmm. It's okay to to take a break, but it's it's also good to notice to notice all the negativity on the news and social media, but then understand that it's that what what can you find? What are the things that you can do, even though you're feeling bad? But what can you do to make a difference for you to recover from being discouraged, but helping somebody else not to be so discouraged? As we hear it preached on Sundays on what happened in the world for the whole week. And so it becomes it becomes discouraging. It, it it does become discouraging. But we serve a God that can what? What's the key word? Intervene. Right. And when he intervenes, that's when we shout, Our Redeemer come. How many know that God came and rescued you? Yeah. Uh oh, I I didn't I didn't hear that. I, we all been saved, sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. We, ain't, we ain't never been sinners before. Yeah. The devil's a liar. But we need him to intervene on our behalf and intervene on our nation's behalf so the enemy can bow down and say, yes, I believe, and that, yes, the Redeemer did come. I repent. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to run and say, what must I do to be saved? Amen, somebody? Amen. And through Sunday school, you're going to be able to lead them through the Romans road. Yes, Romans 10 and 9. You're going to let them, exactly, you're going to give them step one because all have sinned. Romans 3 and 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, Romans 5 and 12, Romans 6, 23, 5 and 8, 10 and 9, 10 and 10, 10 and 13, 10 and 14. And then you're going to pray for them. No. (laughs) Only five steps. All have sinned. Know your scripture is there. The second step is there is a penalty for sin. Know where you yes. know what works. God's provision, provision. And the fourth step, how to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fifth step, step is 
pray with them the sinner's prayer. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we give you glory and honor on this evening. Lord, that you've been able to step in and intervene into our personal situations and in our life. But, Father God, we thank you for this lesson, that our Redeemer comes to intervene, that you come to hold up a standard in our lives. But, Lord, that we know that there are circumstances that we can't change. But, Lord, that we know if we can pray, and, Lord, if we're in a situation where we can't, we know that you will intervene because we believe, because we are your chosen people. But, Lord, that we are a light in a dark place. But, Lord, that we love you, that, Lord, we praise you, that you are our redeemer. But, Lord, that in our helplessness, you are our redeemer. That, Lord, that should one need to come and repent, the door is open on today. But, Lord, should someone need prayer, the line is open on today. Should someone need to be restored and reconciled, we are here today in Sunday school, in this hour, Lord, to bring forth your words, your love, and your comfort because you had grace and mercy on us. And, Lord, we must have grace and mercy on others. But, Lord, allow us to see the injustices, whether in church or out of church, and allow us to conquer every plot of the enemy as we are shielded with with the full armor of God. For, Lord, that we shall stand in righteousness and holiness with the full armor of God. But, Lord, that ye, you shall have our back and our children's backs and their children's backs for generations to come. But, Lord, change our socioeconomic situations should it be necessary. But, Lord, we shall be mindful to give you all the glory and all the praise and be accountable. And, Lord, maintain access and covenant with you. But, Lord, we trust and believe that you are our Redeemer and that you come in this hour to hold up a standard on our behalf and to slay the wrath of the enemy for the men and women of God. That you shall come to Zion. Lord Jesus. And, Lord, because your kingdom has already been established, that your hand shall be upon it. But, Father God, we thank you and pray that on this day that somebody's life has been has been touched, and you are the truth, and your love is amazing. And, Lord, we need to walk in your truth and care for justice with passion and deliverance in our lives. Lord, bless us and keep us. But, Lord, as we leave this place, but not from your presence, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. 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 This, this, has been, this has been the Church of God in Christ International Sunday School Department for the State of North Carolina. This has been Dr. Danette Bershay on your Wednesday night Sunday School Bible study, and I am truly excited. If you need to play this message back, you can go to 530-881-1399, and that will give you the playback once we're off this line and the recording sets, and then you'll be able to go to my website, um, which is www.treasuresoftheheartkojic.com, and you will be able to go on to ISSB Bible Study. Click that. It will take you to our page and give me some time to get it uploaded once it downloads from here, and it, you'll be able to click that link, and it takes you straight to SoundCloud. And SoundCloud is where all of the other lessons are and other teachings, and uh, that is SoundCloud forward slash Apostle DMC.
feed. And so, again, um, those will be posted on Facebook for the social media for, for teaching a lesson. We won't want to be renegade uh, on Facebook. <laughs> God's going to have us. He's going to have his wrath on there, too. He's going to line it up. Amen, somebody. So I thank, all of you. I thank all of you for being on the line. Everybody give a shout-out to the Lord. Holla. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. God is good. Greater North Carolina Jurisdiction Hallelujah. Church, I know that you are in the house and that we are in Holy Convocation, the 94th Holy Convocation uh, this ah. week. So I, I, I give, give shouts out to everyone's leader uh, and to the whole jurisdiction as they are praising and worshiping God, and we are all in prayer at this time, uh, if there be any in the other jurisdictions that are on the line, we give we we give you a high five in the Holy Ghost and through this line right now. All those that are out of state calling, we give you a high five and a happy Holy Ghost holla at this time. Holla at our visitors, y'all. Holla. Holla. <laughs> well, <laughs> Amen. We welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. Is uh is uh Elder Roy Sims on the line? Yes, ma'am. Say something, Roy. Hello, Doctor. Hello, Elder Roy Sims. How are you? <laughs> God bless you. I'm doing fine. Southwest Michigan, Fourth Jurisdiction. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I pray, hallelujah, thank God. I thank, I thank you, man of God, for being on the line. You were faithful and saying that you would be tapping in to, on today. We welcome you. Yes, ma'am. God bless. I enjoyed you. Amen. And we will talk offline to give you, and I, I want to di- dialogue with you and some of the other uh, instructors so we can get you all lined up to come and have an opportunity to teach. Uh, is, uh, is Superintendent Miller on the line or Lillian? Yes, we're here. Amen, amen, amen. Thank God, thank God. So we've got we've got uh, a Baroom Church of God in Crisis on the line. We yes. also have um, uh, McNeil Church of God in Christ is on the line. Holla, y'all, wait. <laughs> amen. I'm so happy. I'm so happy on this evening. But God is good, and I love you all on this evening. And um, I just pray.